Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. Welcome back. I always say welcome back. Welcome! <laughs> It's January 19th, 2021, and Brad and myself are going to give you the scoop on everything related to CFML News this week. You'd better have been here before, so welcome back. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully you're repeat offenders. And, uh, if, if this is your often. first time here, don't let it happen again. <laughs> so first off, let's just thank our sponsors, Order Solutions. Without them, uh, we wouldn't be able to make this podcast. And we also want to thank our Patreon supporters, because without them, uh, Autos would have to foot the whole bill. But thanks to them, uh, the Patreon supporters are actually paying about 60% of the, the podcast costs. So we appreciate each and every one of them, and we'll give you a full list and breakdown at the end. Um, so thank you to all our Patreon supporters. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash solutions and find out about our awesome packages. So, Okay. So let's get into it, Brad. So we got some interesting, exciting things. Um, you want to get into it? Meet me on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. You meant the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> yep. So uh, the first thing on the news this week is the Lucy vulnerability that we talked about a few weeks back is now public. Uh, and uh, and so we find out about the people who got paid $50,000 by Apple to find this exploit. We're doing the wrong the wrong job, Gavin. We yeah, I can break stuff these, for 50 grand. <laughs> we need to be finding these bug bounties. I didn't even know this bug bounty existed. Of course, I didn't even know Apple used Lucy, so hey. Um, yeah. But that's uh, that's some serious cash. I, I think I read that Apple paid out over like $200,000 or something yeah, ridiculous in bug bounties. total for all the bugs or something. Yeah. yeah. Of course, this Lucy vulnerability was just one of, of many that was found. But I guess that's how you, that's how you find this stuff is uh, you offer a bunch of money. Yep, and so um, they they found the bug. Apple asked them for to give them time to fix it and and make some other changes. And of course, Apple reached out to Lucy about the the issues as well. And, and of so, course, uh, if Apple had locked down their uh, Lucy administrator in the first place, it wouldn't have mattered. Yep, exactly. So that was a uh, part of it. Um, but they had three different sites, and they're already different versions um, of things. So it's kind of interesting. So you. Uh, we got a couple of links here we'll share. One is sort of like the more newsy write-up of it. Um, and then the other uh, the other one is basically more of a technical, uh, how they actually go and do yeah. it. So this was kind of interesting reading through it. The technical um, stuff is what had been reported directly to Lucy. Um, yeah. That's what I had seen previously, but the, the sort of overview was interesting too. Yeah, so, you know, if you're wanting to look at ways that they go about breaking in, and because it it shows like there's a vulnerability, but okay, well, Lucy blocks this. Well, how can we get around that? And so it's kind of an interesting way to, to look at how they get into it. And so, yeah, it definitely took them some digging to piece all the stuff together. Yeah. Um, what's kind of interesting is whenever you read these write-ups is to, to look for the stuff that they look for, um, or just look at what, what the attack vectors are. Um, cause if you're looking for exploits, not to do malicious things, but just to make sure your code is secure, you know, you're looking at where do I have file write calls? You know, where do I have upload capabilities? Where do I have, you know, path expansion that might have a dot dot slash? There's all kinds of interesting things that 
that you should you should uh, with good measure be a little suspicious of whenever you see them in your code because those are the common you know things that pop up in these sort of exploits. Yeah, exactly. Uploading files, writing files, dynamic execution. Yep, and that's where a lot of the code review stuff would kick in. If you know you're writing the code, you've got a good idea, and someone might come back and say, "What did you think about this? You know, how could they possibly misuse that? Or should we whitelist these, you know, extensions or you know, little things like that?" And yeah, yeah. so that's why I thought it was really interesting reading through that. Uh, I didn't get through all of it. It's pretty pretty detailed, so I have to go back and finish that up. Yeah, later. they spent a lot of time. I mean, I guess they earned their fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, it's I was I was talking with someone the other day it's almost a little embarrassing that you know how long has had these vulnerabilities been around the the lucy and possibly rila before that you know source code i don't know how far back some of the stuff exists um you know it's open source we never found it but then again i guess nobody offered us fifty thousand dollars to spend <laughs> weeks digging through looking for it but um yeah. at least it w- at least it was reported um oh what's the word i always say it wrong not honorably, but it was actually reported through appropriate security channels, you know, that there was a chance to be able to fix it. Um, yeah, it's not one I of those guess, ones where people just say, oh, this is how you break into this, and everyone's like zero day chasing your tail trying to fix it. Yeah, everything. exactly. So, I mean, at least Lucy people had like a full on like month patch your freaking servers before the stuff came out. But now that it's out, um, I mean, what I hope doesn't happen is, you know, hackers everywhere read through this blog post, which is basically a how to hack Lucy servers who are, you know, too stupid to have upgraded and not locked down their admins. So if you're still hanging out there in the internet with an old version of Lucy and the Cold Fusion Administrator public, well, guess what? There's a how-to guide to come and, and own you. <laughs> well, yeah. own you, as the kids say these days. Yeah. So you've had your chance. Yep, so that's just another reminder that if you haven't done it, go do it now, because now it's public and it's going to happen. <laughs> so... Because I remember the, the FCK editor in the old days, they had one, and I had oh, yeah. an old old server, someone had that running on something, and it, yep, they got in there. Uh, I remember when Adobe patched that, and then in a later update, they updated FCK editor, and then the, the vulnerability came back in, remember that? Oh, really? I wonder if that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, Adobe had it twice, because they fixed it, they updated CK editor, and forgot to reapply the fix, and I don't think it had been fixed upstream. Oh, dang. But... Yeah, and this is another good reason why, a little command box plug here, the latest version of command box automatically blocks Lucy and Cold Fusion administrators um, unless it's in development mode or you've explicitly said don't block it because this just is too, it's too unsafe yeah. to have it be something that's just served up out of the box. And I mean, Adobe's been doing that since 2018 when you use the IIS connectors. You automatically block external access to the administrator and while it's slightly annoying, I applaud them for it because yeah, secure the, by the default. truth of the matter is, yeah, people will not lock down stuff. They will run the installer, they will dust their hands off, and they will be done. So unless you force them to make it insecure, you kind of guarantee people won't lock stuff down. At least yeah. everybody won't. And that's the thing, too. A lot of times, you know, all the developers that are using it may know the warnings, but they hand it off to some DevOps person that doesn't know anything about it. They install oh, it and yeah. they're done. I mean, it's it's not anyone's fault, but by locking down by default, you're at least removing yeah, the Yeah, the bigger the company, the more likely that is. I mean, I see mm-hmm. people that come across the Lucy form or the Slack channel, and they'll say, yeah, I'm not a Cold Fusion developer. I'm just a sysops guy just trying to get this thing installed. How does this work? 
you know, and those guys aren't necessarily going to know all the little ins and outs that you may assume they know. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad that they're doing the, you know, lockdown by default. Um, yeah, maybe Lucy can sort of integrate something too with some of their, you know, they have to open things up. It'd be nice if they could think about that. But Command Box does well, it, so. So Adobe has a bit of a, a benefit here in that, given IIS, which is like 85% of all Adobe ColdFusion installations, they have their own IIS connector. And so it's at the IIS connector point that they lock down the administrator. So Adobe ColdFusion and this bundled Tomcat doesn't really do any of that logic. Um, now, Lucy's a bit of a different world. Most I don't I don't know what percentage of people use IIS with Lucy, but it's probably not nearly as high of a percentage. Um, if you're going to use IIS with, with Lucy, you're probably using bond code, and it does have an option to block administrators, but it's off by default, and it's sort of a separate product from Lucy. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people use Apache Nginx, and they just copy and paste the same basic proxy rule, which is just send it all you know upstream. Yeah. Um, Adobe has a bit of an advantage in controlling a bit more of the ecosystem. You know, you install it with IIS to kind of get the whole package, and they can control a, bit, a few more of the pieces. Um, Lucy d doesn't have nearly as much control over the rest of your server, so unless they implement it at their level, or in my case, I implement it in Command Box's web server, they're kind of dependent on you to do something. Now, what Lucy doesn't do, again, credit to Adobe, is Adobe has the IP address you know, filters as a built-in administrator feature. Only mm -hmm. these IP addresses can access the administrator. That's something Lucy could do right out of the box that would that would improve it. Um, Lucy doesn't have a feature like that. Administrator's just wide open. Hey, come and hack me. Um, so again, that's, that's a, a kudos to Adobe thing that they've put in several things. But Adobe got bit big time <laughs> with several zero-day administrator-based exploits, and they learned their lesson the hard way. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't learn your lesson the hard way, folks. That's a hard way to learn lessons is the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and thanks. Charlie just mentioned in the chat. I mentioned IIS because it's the only one I was familiar with, but it sounds like Charlie's saying the default connectors for Apache also have um, the default protection for the admin. So that's, oh, that's good to good. hear that Adobe covered both of those bases there, even though I know Apache isn't quite as common for Adobe. That's interesting that, that everyone's using IIS. I would have never guessed that, but I guess... Well, I mean, I think that's really more of an artifact, uh, the fact that most people use... I say most people. I mean, I'm, I'm basing this off the state of the CF Union survey, which I think was like 85% Windows for production deployments. Now, that may be trending a bit differently, just with more Docker and stuff coming into play. But that's my guess is, you know, historically, people just threw Adobe Cold Fusion on Windows servers and, hey, IIS, easy peasy. Yeah. Um, it's kind of been the way it is. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, update your crap. Lock down your administrators. Moving on. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about um, a little bit of CBI18N in previous weeks. Um, we had a blog post from Real De Bruin talking about how he released a, a little module um, since CBI18N uh, version 2 was not released. Well, now it is. Uh, so uh, Luis rolled that out, and um, he does put a, a big... Thank you to Wilderburn because he did a lot of work on that. Um, we have some release notes to sort of show you some of the some of the things we rolled out in there. Is there but a blog post for that release? Not yet. It just got released this morning, literally less than three hours ago. But you'll see here. Thanks, oh, Will. Nice. Thanks, yeah, the, Will. The... Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. <laughs> Thanks, Will. The uh, uh, yeah, that GitHub release actually has a nice little list of release notes. Yep. 
And so, yeah, com complete migration to script. Um, we've also got, I think the big thing is here is now you can use JSON files instead of just the traditional old school. Uh, yeah, the Java property properties. files. So that's that's been something that people have had to hack in for for a while. This is additional resource things. And it's kind of cool. They got nested um, nested availabilities in there now too, so you can have a little more structure to your files instead of just having a completely flat file with crazy. Does long that names. mean like multiple languages inside the same JSON? Is that what that means? No, I mean you can like break down groups of the the file into nested properties. So maybe you'll have forms. Oh, have forms okay, yeah, because in the properties and... files, you would have like a key name that'd be like foo.bar.baz or whatever. Yeah. But in the JSON, it's actually declared as nested nest objects. Yeah. So it's much easier to yeah. sort of just figure out what belongs to what. So you can do it like you say with dot notation properties. It's just not as pretty. Yeah, and I believe Vil mentioned that there's um, some plugins or extensions rather for VS Code that work really nicely with the resource bundles in a JSON file. Yep. That Back takes... in the day, I used to use an Eclipse plugin to edit the properties file, which worked okay yeah. <laughs> for what it was. <laughs> yep. It's kind of nice to, to have that. So that has been released. Uh, it is a major release. So, um, you know, do some due diligence before you update. Um, and yeah, we'll have to get some of the those extensions added into the, the VS Code hint tips and tricks of the week sometime soon. And Will said he thinks Eric mentioned the plugin. So okay. we'll have to look at that. Somebody know, mentioned it somewhere. Yeah, I know Eric's been doing a lot with the CFCast site. Obviously, we're doing I18 in there as well, uh, trying to get more languages added. So yeah, so check out the uh, the removed section if you're looking to upgrade because this is a, a bit of a breaking release. Uh, the the module settings are handled a little bit differently. We've dropped CF11 support. We've dropped Lucy 4.5 support. So yep. check out those uh, breaking things before you update. Yep, for sure. Okay, next up we have a new call box release. It's just a, a minor patch release here. Um, so it's 6.2.2. Um, you'll see if you're using call box, you can just use update call box from command box. If you're using oh, a standalone so easy. Oh, it should be more complicated. Shouldn't I have to like download things and unzip things and get confused? Yes, it's you just should. a simple CLI command. You just run it. There's <laughs> a typo in the blog post. Oh, Instead of update cash boxes, oopay. Oh, yep. You date. Editing! So, yeah. But yeah, if you're using the standalone activated. libraries, you can update them similar ways. Just spell it right. Um, so we'll get that changed in the blog post. But yeah, so there's a couple little little things there, but I want to let you know this new version is out. Um, and the big thing there, I think, is they're using the Java URI for more resilient Git full URLs because we're getting some double slashes. And you may have noticed that in CFCast, but they're rolling the update out for that pretty soon. Um, so little bugs fixes. So nice little changes there. Yeah, I think uh, half of the, the tickets in this were some things that I did because um, I was working on getting the newest version of um, Wirebox plugged into Command Box for the next Command Box release, uh, which will finally include because this is a major Wirebox bump to Wirebox 6.0, which will finally include the new uh, Async Manager, which has came about as far as part of Coldbox 6. So I've been looking forward to getting that baby, um, the new ver as part of the new version of Wirebox plugged into Command Box for a while. So Cool. And then Patrick Flynn said, I think we can get more people on Command Box with a CLI in 60 minutes course for Command Box. 
It wouldn't take 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Brad will also talk for 60 days about all the benefits of Snowbox. <laughs> so I just updated this typo on the blog post, and that only took about 60 seconds. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you can get some more videos out there. Brad likes making videos. I do. I also have no time to do it, which is why I have a giant backlog of screencasts I would love to do when people stop asking me to do <laughs> other things. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing coming up here, uh, come on box related, but this time done by someone else because Brad has no time. So uh, this week's Autist webinar, uh, Command Box Test Runners, is going to be presented by Grant Copley. And so... He'll be uh, basically showing you how to create command line programs using CFML. So maybe that'll work, Patrick, for some newbies. They can come and uh, learn a little bit about that. It's going to be this Friday, January 22nd at 11 a.m. Central Time. We and, need to get, uh, get uh, Senor Ben Nadell in there, too. I was just talking about task runners on, on, uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago. He was saying that he hasn't had the time to play with them. So yeah. there you go. Task runners are awesome. So that uh, registration link will post that in the show notes as well or you can just go to autosolutions.com slash event slash webinars i believe it is so, so i don't think we have that link in the show notes yet do we no i don't have it in there i had it last week and i must have removed it by mistake so sorry I'll about that we'll dig get it up real quick webinars yep. upcoming and while you're doing that i'll tell you about online cf meetup so we have uh, a couple of online meetups coming up so this week on thursday january 21st we have communication skills for technical engineers and developers with mark takata and so basically this is a you know a That's good fat of... panther on twitter if you're not aware oh see i, I still I always forget who fat panther is so that's mark yeah okay. good to know. i didn't even know what he looked like until the first time i ran into him at adobe cf summit a few years back and I'd been tweeting with him, and I was like, hey, stop by the booth so I can say hi. And he was like, I was there 20 minutes ago. I'm like, oh, who were you? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. All I know you are is as this fat panther. Yeah, yeah that's pretty funny. I know. We, we've totally got to get our Twitter handles on our on our badges when we do physical conferences. Yeah, We've saying that every year. Yeah, I love conferences that do the Twitter handle and the Twitter image. Because a lot of people have, you know, like a panther picture, right? You know, yep. you see it. Yeah, totally. so that one is at 5 p.m. Central Time or 6 Eastern, um, and so you can go check that one out. And then next week, we have a pretty relevant talk here, Online CF Meetup, Securing a Cold Fusion Application with Fixinator and FuseGuard, Pete Freitag. Very nice. So, yeah, that I'll uh, also point out that um, as a, a plus one for Fixinator and even the Hack My CF, um, Pete Freitag had it set up and ready to scan for the Lucy vulnerabilities like the day they were announced because I contacted him and said, hey, add this. And he had, he had it queued up and ready to go. Um, so services like that will always keep you on the leading edge of stuff like the Lucy vulnerabilities we were talking about. Uh, you get, you know, that instant notification. Hey, make sure you lock this down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Pete's got some great products and services and highly recommend it. And if you haven't seen some of the sessions, uh, come check this one out. Or even if you have, come check this one out. And um, he'll probably scare the pants off you and you'll definitely think security for a while. But mm -hmm. uh, he's got some things that will actually help you um, fix them as well, not just scare you. So 
even better. So that one's going to be January uh, 28th, and that's going to be 11 a.m. Central. So check out the different times. Sometimes we do morning Central, and sometimes they're late afternoon. So this week is the 21st at 5 p.m. with Mark Takata. Next week is 11 a.m. Central um, with Pete Freitag. So. And in case you missed it, uh, they also had an online meetup last week where um, it was a CF Ask Me Anything with Charlie and um, Dan. So Charlie Earhart, Dan Wilson, we're talking everything CF, and that recording is up on YouTube, so I'll share the link for that as well so you can see what you missed. But those are great sessions. Uh, they have the form up online earlier, so you can ask questions and they'll answer on the day. So keep an eye out for the next Ask Me Anything. I think they're being pretty successful. So. So there's uh, a few different meetups and webinars to keep you guys busy. Okay, so next up, we have our CFCast content update. Don't we always? So last week, they actually released twice as much content as, uh, as necessary. So we'll just highlight. Uh, That's crazy. <laughs> so they released all the LATAM content, and then they started doing the What's New with Coldbox 6. So just want to spotlight that. So Coldbox 6, we have the HTML quick start, the testing quick start, and the whoops, which is the debugging template. Um, so those are great videos. Go check those out up on cfcast.com. And I believe those are all free. So those are free videos. We have some paid content and some free content. If you're uh, subscribed, um, you get access to lots of great content. But even the free account has a lot of good stuff there too. So Nice. Speaking of CFCast, did you and Eric talk about how to find the ITB Latam content last week? Yes, we did. You didn't watch the awesome. podcast? I'm disappointed. But uh, we can do a recap for those who are watching. So if you actually pull up the site and you CFcast. go to com. browse, you'll notice there's um, different languages up here. And depending if you're signed in or not, um, we'll save your preferences. But by default, the Spanish stuff is not on there. The um, well, I was, believe it pulls from your browser locale by default, right? Yeah, you're so right. So if your browser is set to English, then by default, you won't see Spanish content. Yep, and there are a couple of English sessions, even though this, because Into the Box Latam was mainly Spanish, there's a couple of English sessions. So I think Brad yeah. tried to speak English. I Yeah, so John Caution's <laughs> session and my session are both marked as Spanish just under that tag, even though we presented them in English. So if yep. you want to see John Clausen's stash box, you still have to say, show me Spanish content, because it's all bundled under the ITB Latam series. Yep. And so the series has the, the language by default right now. We're, we're looking at options to exclude or include. Uh, but if you do have an account, you can go log in and say you want to see both. Uh, and then that way your defaults will be showing up when you go to search or browse. But you can always check the button. If you want to have Spanish and not the English, you can see what's showing up there. So see all that Latam content as well. And then, as I said, we also have the What's New in Box. So that's the, the new content for CFCast. Although, like I said, we did release it a little early, so there's, it's been there a little longer, but still good stuff. Okay, so let's get into our conferences. So January 27th, we have VS Code Day. Yes, they have their own little conference day just for VS Code now. So the VS Code team and community will be having a live event. And the cool thing is they even have a session on hints and tips. So if you can't get enough of the hints and tips that we give you every week, um, they have a whole session on that. And so that's nice. going to be 
live Pacific time from 8 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. So it's just five short little sessions, but they're going to restream it later, and then they'll have a live Q&A with the instructors uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific. So that way, uh, if you want to ask some questions or whatnot, you can do that. Or if you don't, if you're actually working during the day and you can't watch those sessions, you can tune in after work and, and catch them at the later time. So it looks like a cool little thing. And I think people are liking all these different changes now because, uh, you know, so many of the conferences and so much online content and everyone can go to everything. I think they're getting burnt out so that when they do something a little different, I think it stands out. So, and then DevNexus, your favorite conference or almost favorite conference. Uh, is going to be online February 17th. So what's the three things you think people should uh, attend this for as a cold fusion developer? What are your Dev big Nexus? three pluses? Yeah. Um, well, Luis and I kind of attend it for different reasons than other people might, because we're, we're also looking for, uh, for um, stuff that we can bake into to our tooling and our, our offerings. Um, we usually attend DevNexus to keep an eye on Java tooling, see what kind of new cool stuff is out there in the Java space. Um, there's always tons of uh, deployment type Docker, Kubernetes, slash Google Cloud Engine, slash IBM, whatever, slash Red Hat, Redshift, OpenShift, everybody's, you know, <laughs> versions of Docker. Um, there's always a lot of that at DevNexus. And of course, that content is is useful regardless of of language um i don't know what the third thing would be well i would say swag but uh they're online this year yeah because you said it was um, a huge huge vendor booth section right yeah they have like a billion vendors and they all have like just tons of stuff they give away in person um cool well i mean it sounds like there's still some relatable content for sure and it's online yeah and it's I mean, free most i think most of our sessions are, are typically from big name people or from people from big name companies like um you know heroku microsoft red hat twilio oracle so yeah they have a pretty deep uh pool of speakers that they they draw from yeah they got a ton of sponsors too oh my gosh yes they do in fact the shirt i'm wearing right now i got it at dev nexus <laughs> <laughs> half of Very my cool. t-shirts come from conferences and half of my conference t-shirts i think have come from dev nexus well, i know I they, believe... got, they usually have the pretty cool jfrog ones there that we love so much yeah yeah jfrog always has uh sweet t-shirts cool well um uh, so those are the two conferences that um the community is putting on but Aldis is also thinking about some stuff and i know we've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks we've got workshops coming up we've got work shops with quick come uh command box zero to hero call box zero to hero call box hero to superhero but also we're going to do some conferences and so in the previous weeks we talked about our our basic ideas of what we might do so we had more discussions and now it's changing as i told you subject to change so um because of basically online conference overload uh, we're thinking about instead of expanding the number of events what we might do is uh keep similar number of events but basically change the format and time zones a little bit more so we're thinking about having a developer week in may and maybe doing into the box in person in september but with the way the vaccinations and everything's going we're thinking it's not going to happen in september in person unfortunately 
So what we might do is uh, stick to our normal May uh, into the box, but change it up a little bit. So uh, we're hoping to get some European community members to do some more European European time zone friendly slots as well. So not just in a Pacific and Eastern time zones, we can actually have uh, the European time zones as well. Instead of having two tracks and it'd be one after the other, we might split it up to be more like our old developer weeks where, you know, you have a few sessions spread out. So you, if you're actually working, you can get some work done and take a break to watch a session or something. You don't have to worry about competing over the, you know, well, which one should I go to right now? So we'll probably have like a single track and spread it out more over, over a week. So that's sort of some of the discussions we're having. So in, in that case, instead of having, you know, adding additional conferences or weeks we probably stick to into the box in may uh, and then make it just change the format and then we'll probably do into the box latam so the spanish content in december so that way they're spread out a little bit we're not overwhelming you with too much content but um you know we try and make it a little different um because i know last year at the end of into the box we just kind of had a hangout session on zoom and everybody was chatting and talking that was probably the coolest part about the whole event right well, it was pretty fun yeah because like at conferences, that's what everyone's missing is that just sit down, chit chat with people and everything. So we were thinking if we have a, you know, a session chit every two or three hours, you leave the Zoom room open and people can just chit chat in between them and stuff. And I think that's where, you know, what we're missing from some of these online conferences is, you know, that general chit chat. And you know, that's why I like the podcast. I get to chat to you, but we also get to chat with everybody in the chat box here. So. So anyway, so we're, we're still planning, still getting things locked down, but that's the way we're leaning more this week. So we'll tell you next week if we change. <laughs> the too long didn't read is we have no flipping clue what we're going to do this year, but we're going to do stuff. Yeah. And most of it will probably be online. <laughs> yep, exactly. And if you need more conferences, you can go to comps.tech. And just so you know, we're trying to get our CFML language added to that list as well. Speaking of comps.tech... Yep, so uh, Adrian Sanchez made a little issue on their website, and someone closed it. But since then, we've had a few people come on here and make some comments. So, uh, you know, maybe you want to jump on there as well and say, hey, I care. I care. Um, so basically, text.com is, you know, just a great little little site with a ton of, ton of conferences listed, and there's no category for Cold Fusion right now. And so we're just trying to get it added. We want to put our name everywhere, right? So if you look at the list here, they've got JavaScript and, you know, they got Java and Golang and Swift and PHP. And look, Swift only has three conferences. We have more than that. So there's all these conferences here. Anyway, but you can still add them out under general if you'd like to, uh, if you have a conference or you know of a conference or a meetup going on. Um, but we're hoping to get the, the name added here too, so... So we'll share the link to that in the show notes. So if you guys can go and put a message saying, I'd like to see it there. Yeah, um, the guy didn't think that CFML had a very good audience. So I mean, maybe in comparison to some of those other languages. Show him that we do have an audience. I mean, all we're asking him to do is just add the topic to be able to tag conferences with. It's not, not like it probably takes more than five minutes for the guy to add it. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, Exactly, but I understand if they put up Cold Fusion and they have like 500 languages up there, it might not be as nice. But if they all bug them, then maybe they should. Maybe they're using it. So anyway, so that's our uh, conferences rundown. So let's talk about blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. 
and we'll start with the Benedel corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, first one from Ben is using a ray dot sort operator has trouble with return values between zero and one. And so, uh, basically as documented, you know, it expects to get a, a negative one, a zero or a one when you're using a ray dot sort. Um, a lot of times you can just use, you know, math and if, if it's bigger than one or less than one, it still behaves the same way usually. So, um, he said when he was, uh, getting a little, uh, edge casey, um, he found out that if it's between zero and one or zero and minus one, it doesn't do anything with it because it can't tell the difference essentially. So, um, I'm pretty certain that I had looked at the, um, at the code for this once, because I think Ben had previously found that super long numbers, like integers that were too big, also um, had issues before. And I think it casts whatever you send back to some sort of like Java int or something. Um, that Which is why it both had a limit and why it, it truncated around it or whatever it did to the decimals. But yeah, that's interesting because I too have, you know, sort of played fast and loose with uh, the sorting stuff and not always pass strictly one zero and negative one since you can kind of get away with just something less than zero, something greater than zero kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it, it seems like a reasonable assumption that that might've worked. Uh, but yeah, for his example, as he was using it on dates, you know, he wanted to mm-hmm. sort it on dates and usually dates are different, but if they're within one day and you look at the way uh, cold fusion stores them as essentially numbers with, you know, decimal, everything within one day is actually less than one integer apart. And so therefore it didn't work. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you go back to the, you know, the, the one or minus one option for, for that. And that'll work, but just again, interesting. Like you say, sometimes you do stuff and it works. So you keep using it until it doesn't work and you don't know why. <laughs> it'll bite you one way or the other. That's- that's the the trickiest kind of things sometimes that it works on some but not on others and you're like wait what's the difference yep exactly and you only find out when someone complains that it's not working (laughs) so next up um ben also had like a little reading recommendation so um one of their managers recommended this book escaping the build trap how effective product management creates real value by melissa perry and so he said he read this uh, last weekend and he so loved it. So what's the build trap? Does he explain that or do I have to read the book? Um, well, basically, you know, they said talking about how we should worry about, I think it's in the next part here. It's about outputs versus results or something. I, I did read it, but no, there it is. Um, yeah, touting outcomes over output. So just because you output a lot of stuff doesn't mean you're outputting the right Out stuff. Outcomes over output. Interesting. So, so yeah. So anyway, it gives you a little more detail about it. Um, you know, it's a pretty small book. Um, so you can check that out. And it's, it's not a long read. But uh, he said it was pretty good because, you know, it was a nice style. But also that gives them insight into what a project, you know, a project manager uh, has to think about more than just being on the ground floor. So... Uh, but lots of little snippets in there, so it's a good little summary. So thanks for sharing that, Ben. Anyone who wants to pick up their New Year's resolution or reading a little more, it's a short book for you there. <laughs> Get that knocked out. 
Okay. So Ben also had a couple of things where he was just doing an experiment, as Ben does, but he wanted to play around with um, zipping on the fly from Lucy, similar to the way GitHub does. And so in this one here, I actually put the articles in order so it wouldn't be silly this time. I'm curious, has, my first thought was, how does he know that's what GitHub does? But I assume maybe that's documented somewhere. I think he's just assuming as well. Um, but he, as he was saying, like the, the basically you can pick any folder and, and request a zip of that. And so it's basically zipping it up and returning it to you one way oh, I see. or the other. He, he says it right here in his opening paragraph. Their engineer had theorized that GitHub might be generating the zip on the fly. Yeah, because he was talking about how they have uh, repositories that are gigabytes in size, and you hit the download zip, and your browser instantly starts downloading. Um, and then, you know, it takes a while to fully download. So it kind of yeah. makes sense. The only way the browser could start getting instant results is if they started pushing it out yeah. um, immediately. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting as he walked through it, um, you know. And he has this cool little example. I think it's at the end here. Yep. So you click the, the button and you'll see here he's got a sleep in between it. So he's like doing different entries. You can see as he's adding new things, but the file upload is going out. Um, of course, this isn't the way you should always do it. Uh, don't just assume this is the best way to, to do things. But it's kind of a neat little experiment in, in dealing with output streams. I thought this was pretty interesting. And then uh, right up after this, the next day, he went back to, remember how he did deflated and store methods on um, on zip files in Lucy? Because there's a difference if you actually um, use stored versus deflated. Because uh, with images, you don't need to compress them again. It's just wasting time. And so basically, he looked at the differences between between that using the zip output stream as well. And so, um, looking through it, he's got some nice results again. I just too long didn't read. So if it's deflated, <laughs> it's taken 143 milliseconds or seconds, I think, to, to generate it. Uh, and then using 93 milliseconds if you're using stored. So stored doesn't try to re, uh, re-compress it, where deflated will actually try and re-compress the, the file. Obviously, um... You know, based on this, it's about 33% faster um, to use this the stored for images that are already compressed. So, uh, and the file size was negligible. Basically, the difference is there. So, pretty interesting. But yeah, um, I never played was, with that to be honest. Yeah, and he says he's still a big fan of using the zip CLI and Lucy. Um, pretty cool. So yeah, I say I really like all this stuff. If you're having to deal with big files and zipping and, you know, a couple times I've run into times where we've had to do stuff like that. It would have been, you know, nice to be able to spit out the file right away. Kind of, kind of a neat, neat idea. So pretty cool. So next up we have a tweet by Luis Mahano. And this one I thought was interesting because, uh, you know, we're always talking about audits and, you know, trying to help the community and all the things we do. And this one actually put a dollar sign on it, which was kind of interesting. So Luis said, Audison invested thirty thousand dollars into Forgebox in twenty twenty. I hadn't um, seen that tweet until I saw it in the show notes. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and you, you know, probably use Forgebox for free. 
Yep. And so basically, you know, Forgebox is, you know, our way to try and help the community modernize. And, um, you know, so if you're not already um, using a paid account for Forgebox, look into that as an option or maybe support us on Patreon. And, you know, this is another thing that Patreon goes into supporting. Like I said, Audis is uh, doing a lot of work and putting a lot of, you know, money for servers and everything, as well as developer hours into projects like Forgebox. So, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to see a number on it when you think about it. Like that's a it's a big investment. So anyway, so we just thought we'd uh, share how many Patreon tweet. supporters do we need to get back that thirty thousand dollars we put into developing Forgebox? Mm, quite a lot. <laughs> I think right now it would take us years of our current support to to pay for that. So years and years. So, but anyway, um, just an interesting tweet. So if you can, like I said, share the Patreon link. If you can't, you know, maybe someone else, you know, can. So, you know, again, just tooting your own horn a little bit, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of great community projects out there, but, you know, eventually someone has to pay the bill. So, yep. Okay. So this is an interesting one. Another one from Ben about using framework one to strip out the white space in Lucy. So was, I saw that and I didn't read it. Um, so, and I was, yeah. So basically, what he was doing is, you know, he was basically generating reports. And so when you generate reports, every byte matters. You know, when you're doing huge reports and a lot of stuff over the wire. So he was thinking, well, maybe I could use, you know, the the layout itself to do some some stripping and to strip all the extra characters and space out of the files just to, you know just basically to minimize it a little bit more. Is he not using Lucy's white space management? Um, I didn't mention, didn't seem mentioning it here. He also asked on Twitter to see if this was the right way to do it. He asked, uh, Stephen Nealon, uh, since he's in charge of Rainbow one now, but, um, I'm just curious since. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. How you know, Lucy has built-in stuff for white space management, but I don't know if maybe he has that turned off or maybe he wanted to do something in addition. I'm trying to search his blog post and see if he mentions yeah. white space. I mean, so basically, you know, the, the report he was building was, you know, several megabyte, megabytes in size. And so inside the layout itself, what he was just doing is actually doing a body dot replace on the content from the report just to replace certain characters, you know using the regex, et cetera. Um, that's, you know, kind of a, a neat idea. I'm wondering how much of an actual effectiveness it had on it and stuff. I mean, so, and I, I could see it being quite a bit. I'm, I'm really curious if just, well, I mean, I th see Lucy. Ha so Adobe Confusion has two white space management settings, just on off. Lucy has three. And it's like on off and smart or something. And smart doesn't quite do as much and i thought it was set to smart by default um i'm curious if he has that off um so you ready for the cold box plug here it comes this would have been easier if he was on cold blocks you hear that ben cold box would have made this easier um cold box actually has an interception point called pre-render and without having to muck around in your layouts or add logic like this into your layout you can just register an interceptor which could be you know, on and on production, off and development, all the magic stuff interceptors do. The interception point receives all the HTML before it's rendered to the browser. You can massage it, change stuff out, 
Um, I wrote a module once that would look for links, I think, in in your HTML and try to wrap an, you know, an anchor tag around it just to show examples of what you can do. Interceptor modifies the HTML on the fly, and then what gets rendered out to the browser is the modified HTML. And it's nice and encapsulated, and it's just a single CFC with a single method called pre-render, and it requires cold box. So anyway, there's there's your official would have been easier with cold box plug, but yep. this is still an interesting um, experiment. Regardless, it's just you know it's a bit messier with framework one since there's no concept of of interceptors um, yeah. there. And Chris G also responded on the blog post about using CF wheels. Uh, you know, you do something in that too. You know, adding a adding into the views because I guess the the layout sort of bubble up as well so you could do that at the top level and he was also saying why don't you remove the li new line endings too uh yeah i saw them well. talking about so. new lines yeah there's so. a lot of uh there's a lot of white space you can typically get rid of and be safe but then you always run into those little edge cases where you remove a, a new line character that was inside of a javascript text block area. or something yeah or a text area or a, <laughs> a pre-tag and all of a sudden you're like ah crap not that one which i believe the smart stuff and lucy tries to account for some of that but i'd yeah. have to actually look at the code to see what it does i think james moberg said he's working on a cold boxless jsoup cfc that optimizes the output as well so that's cool uh, and jsoup yeah. would at least be would be a lot smarter about where the white space lives i'm curious what the performance is um yeah but that, that's a cool idea just remember people it's not cool to minify your cold fusion code inside your files before another developer <laughs> takes over because i've actually had to deal with that uh, before where i had to go and demonify my cold fusions just so i could edit the dang thing <laughs> it was you know ridiculous. what i was helping someone on slack who was it who was i talking to they were asking about um the cf ajax stuff inside of lucy and I, I showed them where the JavaScript file is in Lucy's code repo and the freaking JavaScript files minified like inside of the repo. Uh, it's not stored readable. And then there's some build process that minifies it. No, the actual JavaScript in Lucy's repo is minified. So it's like, you want to make a change? Your pull request is going to be affect line one. <laughs> there's only <laughs> one line. It's like, yeah, that's not super good. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was pretty bad. It, I had uh, like a five line file and I formatted it. This is before the good formatters too. It was a while ago now. Oh yeah, then, it was all yeah, manual it was like formatting. Twenty eight thousand lines. No, it was like twenty eight hundred lines or something stupid. But it was on five lines. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh I was gosh. trying to find this code and couldn't find it. And I was like, oh, that's because it's like eighteen thousand characters over. <laughs> it is scrolled slightly, ever so slightly to the right. Yeah. So, yeah, don't do that, please. Okay. Uh, next up, we have a blog post from Charlie Earhart talking about the next version of Adobe Cold Fusion. So, already talking about the next version. And so, Charlie has two blog posts out. Um, the first blog post is corrected. So, I'm talking about the second blog post. And that one is the next version of uh, after CF2021 is going to be codenamed Project Fortuna. Not Athena, like it was originally talked about uh, in previous Not like locations. Like a Carl Orff song. Oh, Fortuna! Is it just me? Uh, it's just you. So, okay. Okay. yeah, as Charlie said, he shared some news yesterday or before this was released, and then he updated it. So, so yeah, so it'll be codenamed Fortuna. Um, so it was a recent name change. I hadn't heard the Athena. I'm curious a few why they times. changed the name. Like, did the name mean something? 
Um, I mean, usually I, I figure that, you know, code names just kind of like random is the point of the code name. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that Venus saying Athena for a while because I remember it from previous roadmaps, but uh, they changed it due to some internal decisions is what it says. What the crap so. that means. What did, yep. the, did the Adobe's legal team get involved and screw stuff up? Athena was the goddess of war, the female counterpart of Ares. She was the daughter of Zeus. Okay. All right. Sounds good to me. Yeah. She was a fierce and ruthless warrior. Maybe she wasn't PC enough. We're yeah, sorry. Maybe, you need to have a code name that is politically correct, Adobe. Yeah. All right. Don't get so on that. the more important thing about this blog post is what's planned. So uh, under the microservices category, um, basically they're looking at more productive REST or GraphQL, which is interesting. A lot of people have been asking about GraphQL for Cold Fusion. Uh, API micro gateway for service mesh, which sounds interesting. And then CF on AKS, uh, Amazon EKS and GKE. I don't even know what those acronyms mean, to be honest. Um, what are they again? <laughs> CF on AKS, Amazon EKS. Oh, so AKS is GKE. I think those are all Kubernetes flavors, aren't they? Uh, crap. Probably. Google Kubernetes engine. Is that the, no, yeah, I think you might be right. So yeah, Kubernetes and Azure and Google well. Cloud. So what's, I don't know what the AK is. Anyway, so under the cloud category, deeper service integration, broader cloud support, and productive local environment for programming with cloud services. Interesting. And then- It looks uh, like Charlie confirmed that it's the Kubernetes engines on Azure and Google Cloud, so. Okay, cool. Makes sense. And then, um, Modernization, centralized configuration, language improvements beyond CF Script 2, and the VS Code IDE. So, okay, AKS is Azure Kubernetes. Makes yeah. it, I mean, what happened to the eight? Back in my day, it was K8S. Now it's just now it's just KS. Yeah, forget just... how many characters we jumped over. Just get to the end. <laughs> yep, exactly. So yeah, so uh, good blog post, interesting, and I know that they had the a public webinar that Charlie mentions where they where they mentioned the new name. So a lot of good content coming out. So <laughs> Scott said, "Productive local environment for programming." Are they building a new command box? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I hope that just means they're they're tying into more of their services to have like a development version, you know, or pointing at a different service or something like that. I guess we'll find out. But yeah, maybe they're just going to reinvent .env and command box. We'll find out. So uh, we also had another podcast released, not by us, but some of our community members. So if we look here, you see that uh, the Working Code podcast has a new episode monolith versus microservices and so this one here um basically talking about how uh envision started using microservices in the first place and they took everything and took it out of the core of their monolith and now they're putting it all back in their monolith um so i think that it's a pretty interesting conversation about why they moved to microservices and why they started backing off of microservices so um so that's a new podcast Episode five, they're pumping out some good stuff here. So, and that is uh, with Adam Tuttle, Ben Adele, Carol Hamilton, and Tim Cunningham. So that one is released. 
And we also had a blog post on Cobalt 6.2.2, the one Brad's already fixed the typo in. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> I'm here for you. Yep. And then we have another blog post by Charlie Earhart. And this one was something he originally wrote uh, a few years ago, and he's updated it, modified it, and released it. So, did you know there's far more to the CF docs than just the CFML reference? And so, basically, uh, he's offering all the different locations of all the different manuals and books. So, the CFML reference is what most people find when they're Googling, but there's also a couple thousand pages in the developing ColdFusion applications um, sections. Installing ColdFusion has over 100 pages. Um, configuring and administering, administering ColdFusion has a couple hundred pages. Using ColdFusion Builder has 160 pages. Uh, ColdFusion Mobile Development, 70 pages. So a lot of things here are in a more docs um, than just the reference, which most people would be used to seeing here. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the big thing about it is there's a whole bunch of different things. They don't release uh, books like Charlie says uh, as often as they used to, but there's just tons and tons and tons of content in the site. So definitely, uh, you know, worth noting, there's a lot of different things here. Yeah, and he's mentioning uh, this is for Adobe's ColdFusion documentation, not just CFs. But he does also reference CF Docs, which is a great resource too. Uh, and I like the fact that it shows all the different versions, comparisons, and everything too. So um, CF Docs is definitely a good place to go. Um, yeah, it's forkable too. You can make contributions. Whoa, someone's got more contributions than Pete. Who is it? Shade Rich. Um, I don't know who that is, but they've got over a thousand contributions. Hmm. Twelve thousand lines altered. Interesting. So yeah, a lot of community members updating, adding examples, etc. So it's really good to to see some familiar faces on here as expected. How are you, Brad? So. Yeah, I didn't even. I haven't contributed much. I'm sure I'm probably towards the bottom of that one. Yeah, there's some, uh, some good stuff in there. And, you know, my thing is if I'm using it and they don't have an example of the code I want, I try and make sure I actually get there and uh, put the example back in so the next person doesn't have to do it. Or next time I look, it's there. So, yeah, and that's what everyone's saying is uh, the working examples is one of the things that really, you know, was tough with Adobe Cold Fusion. Even the CF Docs, you know, more examples is going to make it even better. Um, so I like to I like to see that too. So yeah, the embedded runnable examples are really nice. Um, yeah, where they where they exist for sure. Okay, so that's our blog, tweets, and videos of the week. But next up, we have find a job. And just in case you were looking. Uh, we have a few jobs for you this week. 14 new jobs. Wow. So, yeah. So, I'm not sure if this was just one company and they're offering jobs at all the different locations or not. But we have, since last week, we have a ton of them. So, there's positions in Ontario, uh, in Toronto, Frederick, Washington, D.C., New York, Irving, California, Scottsdale, Arizona, Austin, Texas, Atlanta. Most of these almost Rayleigh. have the exact same name. Are they the same... 
So yeah, so I'm not it sure. It is Amerisave Mortgage Corporation. You know what? I wonder if this is the same job and it's just remote, and they just posted it a bunch of times in different cities to try to get more eyes on it. Possibly, but yeah. So there's a lot of things. There's a few others as well. So there's a position in Bangalore, Connecticut, um, West Palm Beach as well in Florida, um, and yeah, like you said, these look like they're probably reposted. But yeah, a lot of different positions, a lot of jobs. Um, so definitely check. Yeah, this a handful out. of these, like the Amerisave Mortgage, looks to be the exact same posting, but with different cities. Okay, so in, indeed, they maybe have, indeed they let them choose their city, and then it posted the same thing. So I'm trying but, to see if it's a remote position. I mean, because they could have multiple offices, and they're hiring on all of them. But it seems more likely they're looking remote or for someone who will relocate. Yeah, it's remote. Is, okay, so yeah. they just they just pinged the major cities, posted it in multiple cities. So we don't have fourteen jobs for you, but there's still quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up we have our Forgebox module of the week, and this week we're doing the CBI eighteen in so two point version. Uh, it's definitely. Uh, a big update here and want to thank I say Luis and will for all their hard work on that. And then other contributions as well from the community. Um, so we have it updated on Forgebox already. The documentation has been updated as well. Will did a lot of work on that. So thanks for that. Um, so you can find out all about, all about these new Jason nested or flat resource bundles available here. Um, so yeah, a lot of good content in there. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to have that out. Um, and please give us that feedback. And again, it was a, a lot of work, um, putting it all together. And so thanks. We really uh, appreciate all your help there, Will. And, uh, I know that they had a lot of, a lot of code requests and it was a big migration, all that stuff from old tags. It was all living in tags before. <laughs> so now we have our stuff. 18 ends and old old uh, chunk of code. I and mean, of course, it originally was the CB18N plugin back in the coal box, you know, one and two days. And then it moved to the module and it really hadn't changed a lot. So this is the first kind of big refresh that we've had. Yep. And so, so that's our Forgebox module of the week. Now, Visual Studio Code, hint, tip, and trick of the week. This one here is actually a new one, which I think is might be pretty popular so it is the stripe for visual studio code so build test and use stripe inside your editor uh, so this is a, a beta release of it um, but they have some more information on the stripe website but the cool thing is that uh, they're really making use of all the features of VS Code. They're using um, a lot of the events and logs. So you can actually see the logs flying in directly. And as you, um, you know, set up events, you can see the, the inputs coming in. You can set up um, webhook traffic to basically reroute back to your app and everything. So if you're working with Stripe, um, you know, it's definitely something worth looking at. Uh, Luckily, we do have quite a few good plugins and everything, but this might be some of those things where if you're trying to create a webhook for your Stripe, you know, setup, it might be good to be able to come in here and just uh, register your webhook and, and test those events. So um, events can only be triggered in test mode for your account, just so you know. But um, they got some pretty neat features in here. 
So, um, you know, debug configuration and everything. And it does support several languages for generating, but they have also quick links to the dashboard and to documentation and everything as well. So it looks like a pretty cool little uh, development tool for anyone who's working with the Stripe. So that we use Stripe for quite a few things, but again. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, we definitely use Stripe. I think we found it to be a a pretty uh, easy to use and comprehensive um, solution for whenever we need to charge, do third-party charging stuff. And my understanding is it, it makes it so we don't have to touch, you know, credit card details or worry about storing them on our end or PCI compliance. Yeah, it's all through Stripe's domain, which is yep. nice. PCI compliance is never fun, trust me. Done too many yeah, of Having having worked with companies that did their own credit card processing, I can tell you it's you're probably not taking <laughs> the precautions that you should. Even better, don't touch the credit card numbers at all. Do it through a third party. Yep. It's pretty easy to use with the Stripe stuff for sure. Okay. Last but not least, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. So uh, as we mentioned before, uh, your money goes to, to help us with the podcast, command box, forge box, cold box, content box, test box, all the other boxes. And it's, it's very important to us. Uh, Patreon.com so slash order solutions. Soon we're looking to be getting $30,000 from you guys to pay for forge box. Yeah. Apparently the guys are fighting over who's going to win the lotto so they can help, you know, help pay the bill a little more. You know, I have those conversations with a buddy of mine all the time that, you know, when we win the lottery, what will we do with the money? The only problem is neither of us play the lottery, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and there's a few different plans. They say we got some starting support. It's just 10 bucks a month to get We need to have a plan there. that costs $30,000, and it's called the Pay for Forge Box plan. <laughs> yeah, and so let's talk a little bit more about what we're I'd doing. I'd like to see the same the same number on like command box or cold box and the, i'd the hate to see the is, one on command box <laughs> and the thing is like some of these you know internal libraries you know that ordis maintains i mean there's not even a log that tells the you know hours luis has probably spent you know just in his own personal time that never gets logged to a you know to a ticket tracker or to a a, a billing software you know how much time went into making cold box who knows a long, yeah. long time. <laughs> yep, for sure. That's how long. A long time. Yep. All the all the other reading we do and videos we watch that we're not logging time for and, and stuff for sure. So, anyway, so let's get back to the Patreon supporters. So uh, we really appreciate your hard-earned money and how you're choosing to support us with it. So thank you, Ben Adele, Brett Deline, Calvin Stanton, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Dadila Snicky. Don Bellamy, Edgardo Cabezas, Cabez, uh, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Dager, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamry, Kai Koenig, Laxmer Terahadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinberg, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Will, uh, John Wilson, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mathir. Man, there's a lot there. <laughs> it's take a couple of breaths to get through them all. So, but yeah, we we definitely uh, appreciate each and every one of you. And if you go to the autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors, uh, you can see the names and their pretty pictures up there too. So, we really appreciate that. All right. Yep. Oh, it's so been about an hour, so I guess we're done. 
Yep, and I see everyone's fighting for the rights of Forge Pops. Uh, <laughs> some funny comments in the chat. So thanks again for everyone joining us in the chat and everyone listening at home. So thanks, everybody, and have a great week. See you next week. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.